You're listening to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast, where we aim to simplify online business so you can make more money. Now, here's your host, Derek Gale. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast. This is your host, Derek Gale. And today's guest is an award-winning entrepreneur who's been making websites since she was 12 years old and started her first business right out of college. She helps entrepreneurs around the world uh, simplify technology in their business and uh, has some very, very cool uh, technology solutions that I've been poking around and uh, absolutely love. And she's also been featured in Forbes, in Inc., in Fast Company, in Mashable, Business Insider, the list goes on, and has been blogging for over 10 years and has a wealth of knowledge in the world of digital marketing. But today we're going to drill down and focus on one real area of her expertise, and that is list building. And uh, just about any online marketer is going to tell you the money is in the list. And after today's interview, I know our listeners are going to walk away some really powerful tips and strategies to accelerate the growth of your list. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome today's guest and digital entrepreneur, Natalie Lucier to the show. Natalie, thanks for taking the time to be here today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Derek. I'm excited to be here. Fantastic. This is one of my favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Good. Um, and I could talk about this all day. So we're uh, we're good to go. Now, to kick things off, though, before we get into the, uh, the nitty gritty and the list building, uh, just take a minute and share your journey as uh, as a digital entrepreneur. You know, how did you get started and, you know, uh, at the age of 12 building websites? And, you know, what was the path that took you to where you are today with this successful software company? the blog, etc. Yeah, so I like to joke that because I grew up in a small town in Canada, there wasn't a whole lot to do. <laughs> so I, <laughs> you know, had to go online and figure things out by myself. So I, I found other people who were kind of young preteens and teens like myself who liked similar things. And at the time, for me, that was like cartoons. <laughs> so we actually built websites all about cartoons. And then eventually, you know, my high school asked me to design their school website. Um, and kind of projects kept coming my way. And I kept learning and getting better and kind of improving my tech skills. And I actually studied software engineering in college. And I got to work, you know, on Wall Street and in Silicon Valley startups. So I kind of got to really get my feet wet in the tech space. But what ended up happening is I got this job offer on Wall Street. And I just like there was a part of me saying, like, this is just not the right decision. And so I turned it down and I decided to start a business and I kind of did a 180 and I was like, okay, I'm done with technology. You know, it's, it's really easy for me, but it's, you know, it might not be the right path. And that was because of the corporate world was just not my favorite place in the world. So I started a business all about healthy eating because I kept reading all these blogs about, you know, starting a business about what you're passionate about. So that was my very first business. It was all about you know, eating more fruits and vegetables and being healthy. And that business was what I like to call my training business. It taught me so much about marketing and about list building, about all the things that I kind of teach about today. And the good thing was that I already knew all the tech stuff. So I built my own website. I kind of had that side of things figured out. 
And then people started coming to me and saying, hey, could you help me with my website? Could you help me with some of the tech issues I'm having? And so that eventually turned into the business that I have today. And we've evolved a couple of times since then, you know, before I was mainly teaching how-to tech tutorials, but now we actually develop software that, you know, takes the training out of your hands so that you don't have to learn it, you just use the tool. So that is my, my company that I run with my husband, Ambition Ally, where we have a bunch of different different software tools for WordPress. Awesome. Uh, now, and, and so those software tools, um, give us a quick overview. Yeah. So right now we have three different things that we've got going. Um, the first one that we released is called Pop-Up Ally, and it's what we like to call the polite pop-up. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. if you want to list build, you know, there's definitely a lot of data that shows that adding a pop-up to your website is extremely effective and it usually does not reduce um, you know, the people who are kind of come to your website or it doesn't increase your bounce rate. So it means that people still stick around even if you have a pop-up. The main difference is that you tend to have twice as many opt-ins. Uh, but the way that we've designed it, there's a couple of really cool things that we can do like exit intent, which means that it'll only show up when it looks like somebody is about to leave. So you're not going to interrupt the flow of their reading or watching something on your website. So that is one of the, the ways we made it different. Um, and then we also have, we just released something called Webinar Ally. And essentially that is, you know, being able to run a webinar live on your WordPress website without spending hundreds of dollars, without, you know, pulling your hair out, you, trying to figure out Google Hangouts and other type of Cody things. You can basically just hit a button and start a webinar on your website in five minutes. So that one we're very excited about. And it's like so, so extremely affordable. It's just $27 one-time fee. Uh, people are what? like, what? what? Yeah, I know. <laughs> We're going to have to talk about that because that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and then the other one is called Access Ally, and that's a membership plugin for WordPress uh, and Infusionsoft or Entreport. So basically, if you want to run a membership site where you have online courses and you want to have kind of gamification and you want to drip content or do different things on your site, um, that is what Access Ally is for. And we've got some cool gamification features that we're still working on that are going to be coming out soon. So we're really excited about that one too. Oh, that's very cool. Now, uh, you said something there that uh, that intrigued me actually when we were talking about pop-ups. And, and I am... Um, I've been down the road of probably every conceivable pop-up plugin out there, and w when I went through your page and watched the video on ambition or on Pop-up Ally, I I got pretty excited. Now, because it's got a lot of very very powerful features in it, and and I think we'll get into some of these as we're talking about um, how how to capture email addresses. But one thing that uh, I want to dig into what was fresh in my mind, you said it. Um, it detects when it looks like somebody's about to exit and displays a pop-up or something along yes. that lines. Okay. What factors do you look for to indicate somebody's about to leave your web page? Yeah. So the way we've done it is if it looks like somebody's cursor is about to click the back button or maybe the X on their browser, then we know that they're about to leave your website. It's a bit harder to track if they're about to click a link that goes to a different website. So we don't actually do that. Mm -hmm. But if it, if it looks like they're about to hit the back button or maybe they're about to type in a new link into their browser, then you know they're about to leave. So that's when we do the pop-up. And it's really cool because you can do like a little wait before you go. I just wanted to offer this, you know, extra yeah. piece of content and that works really well because you're not 
interrupting while somebody's trying to read, which is really annoying sometimes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so now let's let's jump into this this list building. And uh, now, when I look at list building, I I, I kind of look at it in two parts, right? First is creating offers, right? You need to give yes. some, something away in exchange for that email address. And then the, the second is getting that offer in front of the right people. So let's start with the first one. Now, this is something I see people struggle with all the time, um, is, is what to give away. They don't want to give away too much, um, and they don't know what to give away, or they give away that something does that is maybe attracting the wrong people, or it actually ends up hurting their sales. Uh, so when you're coaching someone on developing an opt-in offer, you know, where do you start? What's the advice you give them? Yeah, I like to reverse engineer whatever it is that I'm going to be offering for sale. So let's say that I have a particular product that I know I'm going to be releasing. And even if it's not available yet and you haven't built it yet, you can start to think about, okay, what problem solution could I kind of handle before they're ready for that paid offering, whether it's a service or a product. So I like to do problem solution, problem solution. So the opt-in will usually cover some sort of problem that somebody's having and you can offer a solution directly with your opt-in gift. And then assuming that you know people consume that content, take action on that content, that will solve a problem and then it will leave them probably with a different problem, which is where your paid offering comes in. So this way you're not cannibalizing your own sales, you're not giving away so much that they're not gonna want the paid thing but at the same time, you're still providing value. You're still showing that you know what you're talking about and you're solving an actual problem. So people will start to trust you and say, hey, actually, yes, I learned a lot from this. I got something out of it. Imagine what I could do if I signed up for the paid thing. And you know, a lot of times people ask me, what's the best delivery mechanism? Like, should it be a PDF? Should it be an MP3, a video? Like, what should it be? And I like to say that the delivery of it is not as important as the results that people get out of it. So it could be a PDF checklist or it could be uh, an MP3 download or um, it could even just be a series of emails over time. It doesn't really matter as much as the content and exactly what people are going to get if they take action on what you're sharing. Very cool. Okay, so once we've now created uh, our uh, offer, um, and, and this is, uh, you know, this I think really segues into Pop Up Ally, the plugin you have there. Uh, you know, when I was looking at Pop Up Ally, it's not just a pop up; you can embed everywhere. So let's talk a little bit about. Okay, we create an offer. Where are the best places to be displaying it? Yes, um, there's definitely a couple of awesome places that I think work really well. And you'll obviously want to test and kind of look at the stats because it could depend on, you know, your audience and what they're used to. Sometimes people can develop ad blindness. <laughs> so if you have, yeah. uh, you know, an opt-in in your sidebar and everybody else puts their opt-ins in the sidebar, it could kind of just turn people off and they might not even see it at all. So some of the best places that I've found are actually right at the end of a blog post 
or between blog posts if you're on like a main blog page because people who are scrolling, if they've gotten past a certain point, if they've read your whole post, are a lot more likely to opt in at that point because you know they clearly enjoyed what they read and they're probably ready for more. Um, and the really cool thing that you can do with Pop-Up Ally there is if you have different blog post categories and you have different opt-in offers that are targeted to those categories, you could show a different opt-in at the end of those blog posts based on you know what topic you're you're talking about. So that to me is kind of cool. Um, and then another thing that works really well, or that's kind of popular, depending on where you're, you're at is, um, just kind of a horizontal opt-in either at the very top of the site or close to the navigation. So that kind of catches people's eyes even before they get into the main content of your site too. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I just want to take a step back there and, 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 uh, really focus on for our listeners there, uh, which this was a big aha for me because I've looked for this and and have never seen it is is being able to have a pop-up that is dependent on category or did you say tags as well um, or I just category just categories yeah 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 I don't I don't know if if anybody even uses tags anymore. So it's really <laughs> irrelevant. But um, but based on categories, yeah. So I, I've looked for that because, again, I have all these different categories and having a an opt-in that's going to display based on the category they're in. Maybe they're reading about SEO or YouTube or conversion or whatever. Having one across the entire site doesn't make the most sense. So um, that's very th- that's a very good strategy for everybody listening to create different opt-in offers based on the content they're consuming. And because WordPress categorizes everything, that should, you know, you do it based on the categories. And uh, and if you're looking for a pop-up to do that, obviously Pop-Up Ally does that now, which is very, very awesome. Now, let's talk about um, two things. First is... Uh, timing. Now, we have entry pop-ups, we have delayed pop-ups, we have exit pop-ups, we have scrolling pop-ups. We have all these different types of pop-ups. Where do you start? Yeah, totally. Well, the one that I absolutely love is the exit intent. It works so well. Um, But again, it might not work on mobile because we don't have necessarily the same, you know, browser slash uh, cursor that you can actually track. So in those cases, I think having a scroll pop-up makes a lot of sense because you want to, again, not interrupt the flow as much. Um, another one of my my favorites is also the click to open pop-up because that way, you know, whether you have an image or a link where somebody clicks and then the pop-up opens at that point, somebody has kind of raised their hand for more information and you can kind of entice them a little bit, whether it's, you know, the text that you write or the little image that you put. And I've actually done that on my website where instead of having an embedded opt-in, I'll have a click to open opt-in and that kind of two-step process also kind of has people wanting to finish what they started. So if they click on something and they see an opt-in, they're kind of already have some momentum around filling it out. And so that also increases conversions when it comes to your opt-in. So there's a couple of different things. I, I still am a huge fan of the exit intent just because it's so polite, but it also works really well. So yeah, that's that. And um, yeah, I, actually, okay. So one thing I want to point out there for the listeners, something you just said, um, which is really, really important is people want to finish what they started. And 
I've been testing and I've been a big fan of the click to start as well because, again, when somebody does click, they feel this need to complete. And so, um, you know, that's that's a that was a killer little tidbit of information that you gave in there. Now, um, uh, two two more things in this, in this realm of pop-up. I mean, questions just keep popping in my head the more we talk about <laughs> this. So uh, number of offers. When somebody comes to your website uh, – how many opportunities do you want them to see before they exit to mm, opt in? Right. That's a good point. Um, well, I don't know if there's an actual number that you would probably want to have, but you know, on some of my websites, I have you know three to five per page, which might seem like a lot, but yeah. they are targeted to potentially different people or different offers. So that to me kind of makes sense, you know, assuming that you're guiding people to choose the right one for them. Um, another thing that I've done in the past, which I'm not doing at the moment, but I think is kind of cool, is to kind of have a quiz where people can self-select which opt-in they should probably opt-in for. So if you have more than one opt-in, you could have them kind of fill out a little quiz that gives you a bit more information about where they're at or what they could use your help with. And then you give them that opt-in opportunity at the end of a quiz. So just another, not that you need more ideas, but <laughs> another opportunity there. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I mean, I, the, the answer you gave there on the number, I, I'm I'm in total agreement. And, and the reason I wanted to ask that question, I was kind of leading you on that one because I knew you were going to say, uh, no, I knew you weren't going to say, oh, just one. And so, <laughs> and, and that's, this is such a big mistake that I see people making is they create a website and they have one opt-in offer, right? Uh, maybe it's a pop-up, maybe it's a sidebar and it's for one thing. And you know, I'm in the same boat as you. When I create a website, um, I'm going to have three to five on a page so that, so that A, you're giving people multiple opportunities. But exact, I want to highlight that point that you brought up there is you're targeting different people with different opt-ins, right? Exactly. Um, which is huge. Now, Let's talk about mobile for a moment. Now, you obviously have been in uh, deep into the world of pop-ups because you've created software for it. So uh, how does mobile affect the performance of pop-ups? Yeah. So the main thing that we've realized is that pop-ups definitely still work on mobile. They just have to be optimized and resized differently. Mm -hmm. And usually they'll, you know, you can't use the exit intent, like I mentioned. So you might want to make it a scroll one or maybe even an entry one, which, you know, might be annoying for some people, but actually, you know, people on mobile will still fill stuff out. So it is worth having on your site. And especially if you have a mobile friendly website that resizes and that gets rid of sidebars or other stuff where you might have had an opt in there, then having a pop up on your mobile site is even more important because they probably won't see any of your other opt ins that you have on your main website or on your desktop website, if you will. So to me, that becomes even more important. And what I've seen is that you can pretty much pare down what you usually put on your desktop version of a pop-up and just, you know, keep it to like a headline, maybe a couple of lines of what they're going to get, maybe a picture, and then, you know, your opt-in box. But you don't have to keep it, you know, you don't have to make it super complicated because it has to fit on a smaller screen. Got it. Okay. So uh, effectively, uh, the pop-ups are responsive they're yes, adjust, they're exactly. adjusting they're working and uh, i mean for anybody listening 
your website today should be responsive as it is. And I assume that um, if you're using something like uh, Pop-Up Ally, that's going to create a, a response. They're naturally responsive. Exactly. So you can actually um, decide if you want to remove certain things on the responsive version. So we've got different breakpoints. So if you want to do a tablet version and a cell phone version, you can kind of tweak what's in there. So mm-hmm. so what we do sometimes is, you know, for the cell phone version, we'll just really pare it down and remove some of the extra kind of bells and whistles. And for tablet, it's usually big enough. So we'll kind of keep things in there as well. Excellent. Okay, good. Um Oh, dang it. I had another question in my mind and now it's gone. Oh, it's going to come back. All right. It left. It it left. Okay. Um, It is going to, oh, what was it? It was a good question too. Dang. Um, Oh, I know what it was. Ah, here it is. Uh, (laughs) So there's been multiple opinions on this and uh, now I'm seeking yours. When you create an opt-in, do you ask for email? Do you ask for first name and email? How much data do you ask for? Great question. Yeah, what I've we found is that the more you know, the more, more that you ask for, the more. Or sorry, let me do that again. <laughs> so what we found is that most of the time, if you ask for more information, people are less likely to opt in. So if you are asking for you know, first name, last name, phone number, email address people are very unlikely to opt in. But if you just ask for email, they're a lot more likely to sign up for it. So we have tested that and just asking for email works better. Um, but at the same time, sometimes I still like to have first name so I can personalize things. And, and you know, at the same time, some people will just leave it blank or kind of just put like ABC or something like that. So yeah. they still want to get in. Um, and that's okay too. You know, I kind of, I understand that people want to be anonymous sometimes too. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I was scrolling through a segment of my database the other day and uh, looking at just the purely the opt-in subscribers, so non-clients. And uh, I was looking at the first name field and, you know, I would say probably 10% is either um, all lowercase or just bogus information or a single letter or so, you know, I'm leaning more and more towards just capture email Mm -hmm. because A, it's a lower barrier to entry and B, for non-client emails, um, I don't want to be mailing 10% of the people saying, hi, you know, some profanity that they entered or or something like that. Right. So, um, you know, it's interesting. I've been sort of just randomly surveying people that I know are in this space in email marketing asking, okay, what way are you going here? And I'm finding more and more people just saying, I'm just asking for email. So. Yeah. I think that definitely works better. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Cool. Um, so, now let's let's uh, and we just covered a ton of stuff there. So <laughs> now let's shift gears and let's talk about um, the actual process of now getting people onto your list. Now something that um, I know you've created, which we'll talk about a little bit later, is your thirty day list building challenge, which I think is very very cool um, because I think it pushes people out of their comfort zone, gets them out there, um, trying to get their offer in front of people, and so. When somebody creates their opt-in offer 
And how do you start building that list? How do you start getting in front of people? What's what's your advice? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of things that people can choose to do. Um, and I think that can sometimes be overwhelming. You know, you could do guest posting, you could do paid advertising, you could do, you know, do your own podcast or be interviewed on other people's podcasts, or you could, uh, you know, do PR or, you know, do more social media marketing or, you know, blogging on your own site and improving your site's SEO. Like there's so many different possibilities there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even just posting in Facebook groups that are aligned with what it is that you do. Like there's so many different options that sometimes I think people get overwhelmed and they don't do anything instead of just picking one and trying it. So mm -hmm. one of the things I like to recommend is really thinking about what your strengths are and also how your people like to learn. So if you're a great writer, then maybe guest posting is absolutely the right way to go for you. If you are awesome at doing presentations, then maybe webinars are a great way to go. And you might be thinking, well, how am I going to get people to read those guest posts or get on to my webinar? And a lot of that really comes down to finding out where your tribe hangs out online and doing some of that research to see what blogs do they read, what um, you know, Facebook groups they hang out in or Twitter chats they participate in. Um, there's so many different things that they might be already kind of congregating around that you could tap into. Like maybe they, they listen to certain types of podcasts where you could be a guest. And once you start to figure that out, you can kind of reverse engineer and be be a little bit more strategic about how you're going to spend your time promoting your opt-in offers and, and yourself. So that's kind of my kind of broad <laughs> brushstroke of how to do it. Yeah. Um, and then from there, we can kind of zero in on specifics for, for each of those. Okay, so let, let's let's zero in now. And uh, you know, there's, there's, I think there's two, there's two approaches here, right? There's your paid approach, and there's different paid strategies out there. And there's your your free approach. So Let's look at how you did it. And uh, if you had to say, okay, here was my top three uh, strategies that were you know, free and here's my top paid strategies, what were they? Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, I'll start with paid strategies and then I'll go back to free because I'll kind of go work reverse chronologically if that makes sense. Yep. Um, so basically what I realized with doing say paid Facebook ads is that, you know, if you're sending people to your opt-in page, um, that's awesome, but you're probably spending money to get people on your list. And unless you have, you know, a really amazing sales sequence already and a product that, you know, is working really well, you know, that will convert well, um, it can be a little bit risky and it can be a little bit scary for people who are brand new to paying for traffic. So what I like to recommend is actually doing something where you have somebody, you know, you send an ad or basically somebody clicks on your ad, they go to your opt-in page, they can opt in for the free gift that you created. And then right on that thank you page, before you give them the free gift, you give them an opportunity to buy something that's a lower price point, but that's an easy yes. So, you know, maybe that's a, a more high end version of the free thing that you created, or maybe it's uh, kind of like a piece of software or a uh, you know, something else that kind of takes what you've, you've offered them, but takes it up that next level. So maybe you gave away a free video series and your upsell, you know, your $30 upsell or $10 upsell is, 
um, a, a cheat sheet for it. So you don't even have to watch the videos if you don't want to, right? So yeah. it can really kind of save people time. And what I found is that you'll see there is a percentage of people who will take you up on that paid offer. It will definitely not be 100%. It'll probably be closer to, you know, 3% or 5%. But from there, that will actually cover the cost of your ads. And that to me is when you're doing kind of profitable list building using ads. And that's really what we did with a lot of our 30 day challenge um, and also with Webinar Ally. So, you know, we talked a little bit about um, the different strategies that that we've used personally with our lower price points and that is kind of how we came up with some of those price points was we want something that's an easy yes for people so that we can also list build and do it profitably without you know going in the red when we're advertising yeah and and so just to highlight a point for the listeners there um what what Natalie just said is is creating, as she said, just a, a, a no-brainer offer that is, you know, is is low price point. But in 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 marketing terms, we call those a self-liquidating offer. So basically it's covering the cost of advertising. But to that point, you're not actually trying to make money with that offer, are you? Right. That's right. So the idea is really just to cover the cost of your ads. And then, you know, the actual money making will happen with a bigger offer or something that you're doing down the line. Um, and it could be that you sell something else right away too. That's a higher price point. So it could just be kind of an upsell from that smaller price point up, uh, kind of offer. But um, the idea is that, you know, if you want to start list building, let's say if you haven't created your big new paid program that you're going to be doing, but you have time to create a smaller offer that is not going to be super expensive, then, you know, you can afford to run a lot more ads and have a bigger audience to then promote a bigger offer to. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, one, one of the things I love about that as well is you know, maybe it is only three to 5% that are taking you up on it, but those guys are putting up their hand right away and saying, Hey, we're your best potential clients. Um, you know, they're self-selecting themselves to move up the funnel a lot faster. So that's, that's really cool. So now as far as buying ads for an opt-in, did you find Facebook to be kind of your best platform? Yes. Um, so we're experimenting right now with Instagram and a couple of other, you know, Pinterest and stuff because our audience does tend to be more female. So that works well for us. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely, you know, over the past few years, Facebook has been the majority of where we've done our paid advertising and it's worked really well for us. Interesting. So are you getting, I'm sort of digging here to your yeah. results. results. So <laughs> with the Instagrams and the Pinterest, I mean, there's all these other advertising platforms out there. And I love it when other people are testing it and I can just ask them if they're getting results. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and uh, how is that working comparatively to a uh, uh, Facebook? Yeah. So Pinterest, I don't get as much traction on, at least I haven't quite cracked the code on it. I think, um, just because, you know, people who are on Pinterest tend to be looking for recipes or clothes or <laughs> something that's yeah. just not quite the same as what we're offering. Um, but Instagram, we've been able to target a little bit better because it's actually part of the Facebook advertising platform. So you can actually target fans of, certain brands or companies. So it can be a lot more targeted than on Pinterest. Um, whereas Pinterest is a little bit more keyword focused. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, Instagram, we're actually having pretty good results. And at this point, because it's not super crowded yet, um, you know, it is, we're, we're actually kind of seeing a lot of clicks and we're not paying too much per click. So that's, that's been pretty good. 
Ah, interesting. Interesting. Cool. Uh, well, thanks for sharing that. Of course. Um, <laughs> now, the uh, okay, so we've talked about paid. And so let's keep working through this process. Yeah. So going back to my early days, because I did not have a budget <laughs> to do paid ads in the beginning. Um, yeah. Really, it was a lot of guest posting. And also um, what I did was I kind of got to know the people in my marketplace and I built relationships with them and they helped spread the word about different things I was doing. So I'll talk first about the guest posting. Um, so the first piece of advice I would give for guest posting is that it's not always the bigger the website, the more traffic you'll get or the more results you'll get. Sometimes smaller websites have more engaged audiences and it's actually easier to guest post on some of those sites too because those authors or those site creators might be looking for more content. Whereas, you know, Huffington Post has, you know, I don't know how many hundreds of writers at this point. So to me, that was a really big aha it was, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. At least it wasn't my dog. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, so if you think about, you know, Huffington Post or some of those really big websites that are cool to write for, they might not get you the same kind of traction as a smaller website that's more niche and where, you know, they're, the fans are very dedicated and they read every post. So I think that's a really big aha that I kind of took away from that. And then the other thing too is when you're considering which websites to guest post on, really think about who reads that, who reads that blog. And a lot of times we're tempted to write for our peers or other people who are exactly in the same industry, but usually you want to branch out to kind of a tangential industry. So to give you an example, when I was doing more raw foods and healthy eating, originally I wanted to write for other raw food blogs, but what I realized is that they are, you know, the people who are reading those blogs, they were already kind of on my level and they would never have signed up for my paid programs. So what I had to do was actually find other websites, you know, everybody eats, right? So it's probably the same for your market. Everybody probably does, or is at least somewhat interested in something that you have to offer. So I started writing for different types of websites like mommy blogs or, um, you know, completely like even fashion blogs, like just kind of going outside of the norm. And then you're able to capture a completely different audience than you would have if you're trying to stay in the same kind of bubble that you might be in or that you might read blogs about. So to me, that was a really big one. Um, and then definitely what I mentioned earlier too about getting to know the people in my industry who had built audiences. Um, and again, they could be in slightly different markets too. So you know, if somebody who was in fitness they didn't necessarily talk about food, they were still a great person to connect with because people who are interested in working out probably interested in eating well too. So that that was really big. And then, you know, when I did a launch or when I did a new freebie offering, I just asked them if they wanted to share it. And many times, you know, they liked it, so they shared it and that got a lot of traction. So Okay, so there was a ton of really, uh, really good stuff in there, and and the best part was is you gave us a great crash course on, for example, guest posting, um, and uh, I, I, one of the key things I want to highlight there, which was uh, massively valuable, and you don't hear many people say this. In fact, I don't know if I've heard anybody say what you just said about guest posting, and that is, don't go after the ones that are already in your market. Um, so that, that's absolutely huge. And uh, 
massively valuable because again, you're right. You would just assume that if I was going to go out there and guest post, I'd be like, hey, let's go out and go to this blog that's about internet marketing, for example, right? But uh, if I could go out and say, okay, here's how to do, if I was an SEO person, write for a realtor's blog, you know, how to do SEO for real estate agents, right? You know, that's that's a really, really good approach. Now, I wanted to take a step back to the to the guest posting because you know you've gone through this. You started a website, and you know you were you're trying to to build your reputation, try to build traffic. How do you approach these websites to get them to say yes to your guest post? And I mean, I know a lot of them do have you know submit a guest post, but how do you get published on these? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times sites will have, like you said, you know, a write for us, or maybe they'll have editorial guidelines for how they want to be pitched. And if you can, you know, if you can get one of those that explain exactly how to do it, then awesome. It's kind of a slam dunk. You just follow their instructions. Um, But sometimes, you know, websites don't tell you that they accept guest posts, but if you look through their archives, you will find some. And so you can say, oh, okay, well they do. So let me try to figure out how to send, how to submit one. Um, So what I'd like to do is is I like to send a personal email, you know, sometimes they'll have a contact form or just you can get their email from the website. And most of the time, what I do is I'll pitch a couple of different ideas. And I might not have the whole post written when I pitch to one of these websites. Sometimes they'll say, you know, send us the entire post. We want to see it before we even say yes or no. Um, But most of the time they want to make sure that the topic is a good fit before they say, yes, we will, you know, accept a guest post from you. Um, But I do like to have an outline of what I would talk about for the different topics. And what I really recommend is taking a look at how, um, how they write different titles and you know, what kind of articles they have actually published, because that'll tell you what they're looking for and what they actually like publishing. And you can usually do a little research and see, okay, what are the missing pieces of things that they haven't talked about that I could talk about? And that can really kind of get you going in the right direction. So that is big. And then also in your email, keep it very light and conversational. And, um, you know, it's sometimes it's so easy to, to be like, oh no, they're going to say no. And you kind of like telegraph that in your email. So just, you know, be positive and say, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to, uh, to, you know, posting on your website or, you know, sharing my content with your audience or something. So don't, yeah. don't, you know, hold back when you're actually making your pitch, just understand that there's a lot of value in writing a, a guest article because you're actually saving the person time from publishing and writing their own content. So to me, to kind of think about what's in it for them is really big too. That's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Fantastic. Okay. So uh, any more in the free vein of of strategies? Yes. Um, Yeah. So basically the other thing that I think that works really well um, that could kind of, there's new ways to do it now, but basically doing webinars, like I said, is, is really nice because it's a live event. So people like to share things that are happening like live. So if you've got, especially if you've got kind of a tech savvy audience, they will spread the word. If you're doing like a live webinar or a live demo, what I used to do is actually, um, I would do live recipe demos and people just love those. Like they were like, wow, you know, that doesn't happen very often. I want to see what you're making in your kitchen. And it was just, you know, a live, um, live stream at the time, but you could you do, you know, Google Hangout or even do, um, you know, like a meerkat or 
uh, a periscope or whatever kind of new technology you want to use is totally up to you. But because it's live, people will stop what they're doing and pay attention and are more likely to share it too. So if you have other people, like I said, that are either influencers or kind of in your space and you're saying, hey, I'm hopping on and I'm doing this live thing. Um, you know, if it is a webinar, then obviously you can kind of pre-schedule some of the content and make it really robust and, and helpful, but then people are more likely to help you spread the word about it. And that's huge. So, okay. So now this, this is where I think a lot of people are going to get out of their comfort zone. So I, I you know, I, I'd love to hear your, your kind of story and how you did this because I mean, you were in the, the raw food space. That was your initial blog and you started doing these live um, you know, live recipes and stuff like that. What, how did you get started with that? And, uh, you know, most people are, <laughs> when you say, Hey, do a webinar, uh, to build a list they're like, I, I could never do that. And so what you're saying is you were getting on camera and doing, doing live events. <laughs> yeah. So, so was that out of your comfort zone initially? And how did you, you know, how did you get that off the ground? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I was totally out of my comfort zone. Um, and, you know, I even in college, I took like a public speaking class. <laughs> and then you had to watch your own video after and I was like, Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> so there's <laughs> definitely been a lot of evolution and, you know, practice and it, get, it does get easier. Um, yeah. But I will say, you know, if you've never done a webinar, you don't have to go on camera right away, you can totally do slides or show your screen or do something that does not involve being on camera. Um, but what I will say is that it's a little bit, at least for me, I don't know why, but it's a little bit easier to be, you know, by yourself in front of your computer's camera than to be in front of an audience of live people. And um, the good thing is that, or at least I like to remind myself, most of the people out there who are showing up for your event, they're cheering you on. They want you to succeed. They want you to show them good stuff. So they're not there to criticize or to say anything mean to you. So if you can kind of remember that, that people are actually on your side and they're kind of cheering you on as you're doing things, um, then it kind of takes the pressure off a little bit and you can just be yourself and kind of connect on that human level. And people can feel that and they really enjoy that when you're, when you're live and you're interacting with them. And, you know, you can ask questions and they'll reply and vice versa. So I think it's it's a really cool experience and it does get easier. So definitely in those early days, I, it was like, oh, my God, this is this is crazy. And then definitely don't watch your recordings if you're not, <laughs> if you're not comfortable with that. You don't you know, you can publish and then, you know, move on to the next one. <laughs> yeah, I, I and I totally agree. Well, I mean, the fact is, is, it, you know, and I've been I've been doing this for 16, 17 years now, and I still hate seeing myself on camera. And I don't think anybody ever says, "Hey, wow, there's me on camera. That's great." You know <laughs> totally. You know? It just doesn't. It doesn't happen. I've never met one single person that said, "Yeah, I love seeing myself on camera." So, no, you're not alone. And uh, I just love the fact that you, you get out there and you do it. And uh, you know, one of the things I want to reiterate is is that the connections you create are so much stronger when you do a, a live event or a webinar or or something along those lines. Um, you connect with people at such a, a deeper level, um, which which is huge. So. All right, fantastic. And uh, okay, so we're 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 running out of time here, um, and it's too bad because I could talk about this all day. <laughs> but um, before we wrap up, two things. You know, where can people learn more about you? And 
let's tell us about your 30 day challenge and how people can be part of that, because I think that's a a fantastic idea. And I think it's going to help get a lot of listeners out of their comfort zone. And I love the way you've structured it. So tell us about that. Tell us how to be part of it. Yeah, so it's a totally free challenge. You just go to 30daylistbuildingchallenge.com to sign up. And what it looks like and what it is, is basically you'll get a daily email with a daily mini video, just a minute or two, with one action item for 30 days. So you can track your progress. We've got little check boxes and things that as you move through the, the challenge, you can say, yes, okay, I submitted my first guest post or yes, okay, I scheduled my webinar. Um, and so that way it moves you through the process. And we also have a Facebook group that goes along with it. So if you get stuck along the way or if you need somebody to give you their feedback on your opt-in offer title or whatever it is we're in there for you to kind of support you throughout the 30 days and we've had so many people start from zero to 100 or from 100 to 500 or 500 to 2000 so it is really amazing what can happen when you focus like that for 30 days on building your list and like i said it's totally free you just go to 30daylistbuildingchallenge.com to sign up And um, yeah, I highly recommend it. And we've had, gosh, almost 25,000 people or something like that go through it who absolutely love it. So definitely can't say good things about it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, if you want to hang out with me or find out more about me, you can go to ambitionally.com to find out more about all the different products we talked about today. And then natalielucier.com is my personal blog. And I've got my, my off the charts podcast on there as well. That's awesome. And uh, again, I I would totally recommend if you are a WordPress user, you're looking for a a pop-up solution, go check out Pop-Up Ally. And you're you're listening to somebody here who has probably tested every conceivable pop-up plugin um, over the past, (laughs) you know, (laughs) since since the beginning of WordPress um, and has gone through a ton of frustration and aggravation. And and to that point, you're you're a... uh, a formally trained software developer, correct? I am, yes. <laughs> so uh, I'm, and I haven't looked under the covers and I'm just making assumptions here, but <laughs> the uh, I'm going to guess that you have best practices and coding standards that you live up to. Yes, yes. And, <laughs> and basically on our team, we have two full-time developers that are, you know, are actually both very highly trained software people as well. So this is not just kind of fly-by-night, developers which yes. I think is nice. <laughs> and, and and that's huge and especially today in the world of WordPress um, there's a lot of plugins out there that are less than desirable desirably built and anything that is connecting to databases and uh, you know putting people on your list um, needs to be well coded or it can open up little doors to vulnerabilities um, so you know I, I like to know that there's a real a real company and a real team of developers behind that. And it's not just kind of put together and, you know, in, in a basement somewhere. Or outsourced <laughs> or something. Yeah. Or, or, outsour- <laughs> absol- or outsourced, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I've been down that road where I was like, hey, I've, you know, I have an idea for a plugin. And, uh, you know, boom, outsource it, got a development team uh, overseas. And uh, they built the, built the plugin. And then I showed it to uh, a friend of mine who's a, a very high-end coder. I said, can you do a code review? And he came back and said, well, it does what it's supposed to but you need to rebuild it because, <laughs> you know, and you're like, wow, <laughs> that's fantastic. So uh, anyway, that's why I just sort of reiterating that when you can buy plugins from, from companies that are actually, you know, uh, um, <laughs> 
are building to best practices. That's huge. So uh, w- once again, uh, Natalie, thank you so much for uh, sharing today. I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, Derek. This was awesome. Absolutely. And uh, to everybody listening, uh, there was so much in the last uh, that we just went through. You're going to have to listen to this a couple times because there were so many little tidbits and nuggets of massively valuable information on building your list uh, from how to do it on your website, how to create those offers, how to build those lists. And I would highly recommend if you're not getting the results you're looking for on your list, check out that 30-day list building challenge. And and I, I challenge you to push yourself out of that comfort zone and uh, follow in Natalie's footsteps and start uh, start going down these other paths that you know I watch so many people struggle with and it really comes down to the insecurity of not wanting to put themselves out there um, so once again check that out and uh, as per usual I hope you guys got a lot of value out of this as you know my goal is to give you real actionable stuff to take away no fluff no BS stuff you can apply to your business and I can honestly think say I think we really delivered here today and uh, if you like what you hear make sure you head over to iTunes and subscribe if you're already subscribed I'd love it if you leave a rating and review for us and uh, as per usual if you missed any of the links, no problem. Head over to entrepreneurignited.com forward slash podcast. Look for this podcast in the show notes. You'll find links to everything we talked about. And that's a wrap. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now. You're listening to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast, where we aim to simplify online business so you can make more money. Now, here's your host, Derek Gale.